Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. Today, we are continuing the conversation started in the last episode about the impact of systemic racism on the experience of and care received by people of color in the mental health system, at least in the United States. Our guides are Dr. Charmaine Jackman, a licensed psychologist, as well as founder and CEO of InnoPsych Inc., and Duran Young, a licensed therapist and founder of Black Therapists Rock. Both of these clinicians and their organizations are working to disrupt the racial inequities in the mental health system. In the last episode, Charmaine and Duran laid out the data about systemic racism and the negative impact it has on patients, as well as providers. In this episode, we discuss the ways that we might work to reduce inequities and provide the best care to everybody we serve. So it's more than just the physiologic um, signals that we're getting from our equipment. We need to really think more carefully. I'm not sure if this is the right word with more nuance about the trauma, the stressors, the ongoing uh, mindset uh, that, that people develop and how those are going to impact their experience and the expression of, of stress and anxiety. And I'll just add on, thank you for summarizing, because I think a lot of the work that I have been doing, I would say in the last three years or so, is really about helping people tune into their bodies and that mind-body connection. And so some of the workshops we talk about, what does stress look like for you? And how does it show up in your body? So, right, bringing that awareness to body because a lot of, for a lot of people who've experienced, they're just, we're on the go. We're like moving on to the next thing. Ain't got no time to stop and reflect, right? (laughs) And think about and process, right? You're on to the next. We have a process with family or church, but we're not kind of thinking about what does that feel like for me, right? And so it is the opportunity to help people to slow down and to think about it. But that might be, that might be, Part of the training, right, is to help educate about how how does your emotional stress show up in your body, right? And I talked about that it shows up, your body is always your signal. And we have signals, right, whether it's we talk about hear loss, right, anxiety through hear loss or um, gastrointestinal issues, headaches, right? So I started to name things for people so that they become more aware of that connection to their emotional stress and their physiological response. I think another thing I want to say is just being mindful that the way they're showing up with you may not be their mo- most natural state. Part of healing is really returning to our core essence of who we are. And I, when I think about the workplace or about even you know navigating medical facilities, educational facilities, all of these systems where you feel like or you may not may feel like you do not belong or you're not represented well, I think a lot about code switching. You know that, and that the body keeps the score even as we're code switching. <laughs> You know, when you're trying to actively change your, 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 the way you're showing up or the way that you are, there's a lot of energy involved in that. And so when we talk about stress, it's stressful to have to be mindful of how I'm speaking, to, to have to worry about being the angry Black woman. That's stressful. You know? <laughs> like, are they, how are they wondering how they're perceiving me or, you know, mind reading and, and wanting to care give, you know, taking care of other people and their feelings and their comfort level versus just being mindful of what I need in this moment, um, especially when we're showing up to therapy. It's, it's really stressful to have to take care of your therapist <laughs> when you're paying for a service to be provided for yourself. 
So I, I always say that, you know, a lot of white therapists or, you know, dominant therapists will ask me, what can I do to gain trust from marginalized people? And I say, you have to show up. You have to really be there. Um, and you have to be mindful of all the things that your body is carrying. Because the, when we say the body keeps the score, we've all been impacted by the legacies of racism and white supremacy culture. Not just black and brown bodies, not just queer bodies, but all bodies. And so touch is also something that I think is closely correlated with trust. And for, for maybe people who have sexual trauma or people who have poverty in their experience, touch can be very um, challenging. You know, if you are someone who's lived your life from a very dissociated place, not being aware of the sensations in your body, which was me, you know, and I'm tracing it back to that three month old part of myself um, that had to shut everything off, Did, could not feel my own bodily sensations. It was not safe. Um, not being held, not being touched, you know, having touch deprivation is another thing that I see amongst marginalized people that we're just not comfortable oftentimes with touch because that's not a privilege that we've had in, in the relationships around us. It's not a cultural understanding that, you know, touch is important or affection is necessary to all human beings. So I think there are certain privileges that come with being in a dominant body, even as a heterosexual middle class woman. There are certain privileges that come with being in my body and my, my son being in his body that other human beings are not walking around with. And when I'm showing up with that privilege, I need to be aware of it and kind of check it as I'm navigating that experience. So our work, even with, you know, as, as, as clinicians, we do a lot of touch, um, which many clinicians don't because just putting sensors on, putting, getting, getting the neurofeedback or biofeedback set up can have many layers of meaning that we need to really be aware of. Absolutely. Like I said, for someone who has a lot of trauma, like my experience, I have not been like even going into a massage was very, um, you know, vulnerable for me. Right. So I think just being aware of that and honoring that for people who have, have real experiences that have been harmful, you know, and of reasons why they are showing up that way. Um, and I think it's important for, like I said, not to assume that, you, you know, that you're entitled to this person's trust or that you're entitled to you know, a relationship with them, but to really slowly, gradually work on earning that trust and building that respect of mutual beings. I think it's just super important. Right. And I think that um, how you, how are you gathering that information in your intake? Um, I know intakes can be very intense. So you also have to think about how do you break down that and not just try to get everything in the first session because it will put people on guard or talking through people, what that process looks like and why you're gathering the information, right? So how do you empower your clients in that process? I think is really important. So talking through the why you're collecting information about racial trauma or their experience with touch, right? Why is this important? Because we have to put sensors on you. And would you want to put the sensors on yourself? Would you want us to do it, right? So how do you, in each of those interactions with the client, how are you um, communicating with them, giving them power in their in that situation so that they can make decisions for themselves in, that, in your work together? And that becomes, you know, in itself, again, a corrective experience, right? That's a form of real healing in real time. Um, and the body can feel that too. Just like the body keeps the score when it comes to trauma, it also keeps the score when it comes to healing, you know, um, and these are opportunities for we think small healing, but it actually can make a big difference. Um, so I, I love the word empower, you know, to, to really return, return and restore power back to people who've been disempowered, who've been, you know, disenfranchised and who, who've made, been made to believe that they really have no power over their life experience. 
um, I think is, is so critical and can be really transformative to the soul, the body, and the mind. So we've been talking a lot about uh, the the pitfalls, I suppose, that that us clinicians, particularly clinicians, um, uh, white clinicians, can fall into very easily. But I also want to talk a little bit about the healing process and how we can focus on that. So I'm, I'm wondering, Duran, if you could maybe start by talking a little bit about what healing means for you and how we can think about that in the clinical work. Yeah, I think for me, one of the ways that I really have been starting to um, conceptualize healing in my life and in my world and in my community is something that Brene refers to as shame resilience. Um, and this this idea that shame is already always going to be a part of our life, our world, right? We're always going to be interacting with shame and interfacing with shame around every corner. But how do we build resources internally that make us feel worthwhile as a human, even in the face of shame? Um, and for people of color and marginalized people, queer people, I think that is a big part of the work. How do I show up as my most authentic self, even when it feels, you know, like feels really threatening? It feels really not welcomed. How do I show up when I really need to show up for me? Um, and for me and my own personal journey through shame resilience is taking actually uh, psychedelic assisted therapy. And psychedelic assisted therapy is something I've personally become a huge advocate for in the last three years because I was in and out of therapy since I was 21. I'm, I'm a therapist myself, I'm, you know, military veteran. And when I went to the VA, I just didn't see resources that could help me deal with the things I've been dealing with my whole entire life. You know, when I was born black, <laughs> no one said, oh, there may be some trauma associated with, you know, navigating this black body. And this is this has been with me since I was born. Like I said, you know, being a three month old baby and the NICU on life support, all of these experiences that are stored in the body, they need to be honored and you know brought up and, and dealt with. Um, and so things like psychedelic assisted therapy can go to the places where talk therapy doesn't. Um, you know, being able to as a white therapist, maybe, you know, talk about your own epigenetic trauma related to racism, to be able to talk about. Um, you know, how that shame is living in your body can be really difficult because these aren't things that, are, again, are welcomed. We're not, we're just starting to have these conversations. So sometimes it takes a medicine that's going to go beyond the words and the language um, and really get to the sensations in the body and the thoughts that are deep in our unconscious mind. So for you, a big part of healing is dealing with shame, the pervasive shame, and building resilience to it. And you, Charmaine, how do you think of healing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think um, I love to add pieces around the healing too because I I, I think these are important places to go. Be, um, like we've kind of alluded to it earlier, but, you know, how do we help? For me, it's like, how do I help my communities heal? And, you know, I started InnoPsych as... A network um, as an opportunity to really look at how do we disrupt racial inequities? Um, how do we give people tools to help them heal? How do we, how do I um, give people resources that I see my white colleagues and white clients accessing, but our communities have shied away from because they don't feel it's for them? And it is, right? So, you know, talk therapy may not be the thing for a lot of people. And so I talk about that. I talk about other body-based work. 
Um, and so it's interesting. I'll add biofeedback to that because it's, it's funny because it's been something part of my training, but I haven't really used it or accessed it. Um, but I also really focus on healing conversation. So for myself, similarly, I, I had some trauma as a child that I dealt with. And I would say I kind of hit as a th- therapist. I was able to hide it and not deal with it for a long time. And I finally was able to kind of break the pattern in family, right? There are often patterns about silence in our families. And so talking about my trauma was really healing. Um, and it has released and liberated me in many ways. And so those are some of the things that, you know, that I am hoping that I can help um, people of color and communities of color really deal with. It's kind of really break some of these generational patterns that, 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 kind of hold us tied to the trauma and not to the healing pieces of it. And you, you both have developed organizations that at least in part focus on that bigger community, whether it's, you know, the community of professionals, but really the, the larger communities of color. Do you have any thoughts uh, about what those of us who haven't done that, who, who maybe are kind of shut in in our little, uh, you know, uh, little primary practices, our little solo practices. What can we do at at more of a community or societal level to support, you know, as you Duran said, the restoring power uh, and and de- trying to deal with some of this legacy burden. I think a big part of it is is educating yourself. You know, um, as you were relating to the multicultural way of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion back in the day in mental health. Uh, that is a big part of it. You know, that's why I travel. <laughs> you know, I, I want to have a worldview. I want to know that, you know, the human experience is not limited to America. <laughs> right? um, so I think it's really challenging yourself to get out of your comfort zone. That can look like following, um, you know, black leaders on social media or queer leaders on social media. It can look like um, having conversations via social media, which black therapists rock. We have a very active Instagram page where we have some really hard conversations on social media, which can be, you know, a little bit (laughs) uh, activating for some people, but it's good to sit with whatever is coming up for you um, when you're witnessing these things. And when you're reading and exploring things, just noticing what happens in your body, I think is a big step. Also getting out of your own comfort zone when it comes to the types of trainings you, you attend. I know that a lot of therapists go to the same conferences over and over and over because all their friends are there. Um, but I've invited a lot of our, uh, you know, IFS therapists or other non, uh, dominant therapists around the world to join the Black Therapist Rock conferences that we host. Um, we're currently hosting a plant medicine conference in Jamaica next April. And I'm hoping that it will be this diverse audience of people healing together. And I think that's what we need more of. We just need more cross-cultural compassion, more interacting, you know, less staying in our own groups where we're comfortable and, and really branching out to each other. Yeah, I'd second that. And we also have a conference that I'm putting on with another colleague, um, Reclaim an Identity and um, BIPOC Liberation. I can't you know that's the exact title, but that's in Mexico. We're actually going to have a Mayan shaman um, as part of the conference as well. And I can definitely share that with you, um, Saul, if you want to share that out. Um, but I, you know, I, I definitely agree with those things. It, it's you know, I, the thing that I say, it's it's hard work. It's not going to be comfortable. But, you know, we st- when we stay in our comfort zone, we don't grow. 
So get out of that comfort zone and get to growing and get to healing. And I think it's about sharing resources. If you have resources, share. Like, you know, I would say, you know, for InnoPsych, we're definitely looking for resources. We want um, folks to share their expertise. And we can find ways to do that um, um, in culturally responsive and culturally sensitive ways. So I'd, I'd like to just end with a couple of, of questions. And, and I guess start with you, Duran. I'll ask you both the questions. What is one thing you want the audience to take from our conversation today? That there are parts of you that carry bias, maybe even parts of you that benefit from systemic oppression. And it's really important to get to know those parts. However painful it might be, um, you know, make sure you have some resilience, internal resources built in within yourself and a community to approach with this work. But I think it's important work to do. And Charmaine, how, how about you? What is what is one thing you want our listeners to take from our discussion today? Yeah, I mean, I can second that. Let me see what, what one thing I want people to take away. I think similarly to that, um, you know, when I'm in spaces, you'll often tell me, you know, like, you know, there's, there's, I would say, okay, the thing I always want to tell people is like, really think about ways that you can shatter the ways in which you're silent, um, in which you're complicit and, and biased. And when it's when you see it happening in spaces um, where you're part of, to really step up and, and speak up around around that because that can be really healing for people when they are experiencing microaggression and microaggressions, and someone speaks up because oftentimes people remain silent. So it is hard work, um, but it's harder for the person who's who's the target of that 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 bias incident. So. I think part of the stepping out of your comfort zone is being willing to sacrifice the being nice therapist or the good therapist and to really center the experience of the people who've been harmed. And and Charmaine, what is one thing that, I don't know, helps you feel optimistic? I I have two children who are 12 and almost 10. And like... The reason that I do this work as hard as it is for me as well, this is not easy work for me. I don't show up and be like, woohoo, let's go. Yeah, this is hard work for me too. <laughs> and so, but I have two kids and I want them to have a different experience of our world. I have to have hope. If not, I'll be in a corner crying <laughs> and, and sad, right? So I have to have hope. And my motivation is creating a world where they can thrive, where people can see them for the wonderful, beautiful, black and brown kids that they are. That's my hope. And that's the reason why I do this work. It's for them. That's my legacy. <laughs> and and Duran, what's what helps you feel optimistic? For me, you know, I grew up with a mother who was dead set on me knowing all of the stories of our ancestors. <laughs> so I grew up reading about Harriet Tubman, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, you know, a, a lot of different people. Um, the ancestor that I uphold the most in my heart and in my spirit is Maya Angelou. Um, I believe that she has so much love for the world and for people, and and she really, you know, believed in healing. And so I try to channel the the spirit of our ancestors when I, you know, feel frustrated or upset or discouraged. I really think about that, you know, the fact that I am my ancestors' wildest dreams that they're probably looking down and saying, wow, you know, I have so many more access to resources than they could have fathomed. You know, the fact that I can heal, I have time and space to heal is, is truly a gift. And, and their sacrifice is the reason that I'm able to do that today. Well, thank you both so much for joining 
together for this conversation. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. You've been listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal, and our guides today to the healthy brain and happy body were Dr. Charmaine Jackman and Duran Young. Both are licensed mental health providers developing ways to reverse racial inequities in mental health care in the U.S. Learn more about Dr. Jackman's work at www.innopsych.com and about Duran Young's work at blacktherapistsrock.com and at her presentation as part of this year's NRBS annual conference. Remember, you can join us virtually on October 21st and 22nd by registering with the code HAPPYLISTENER at nrbs.org for a 25% discount. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really do want to hear from you, so be part of this ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, ideas, and questions at healthybrain at nrbs.org. Leave us reviews as well. It really helps podcasts like this one reach more listeners. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Happy Body.